sweethearts. Welcome to Love Letters 2. I'm Alicia. Hi, I'm Melissa. Thank you for joining us today for two new love letters to the unexpected and delightful. This week, Melissa, how could we pass the Ides of March without paying a little homage to it? We definitely are going to do that. We've heard about bewaring of the Ides of March. It's an unlucky day in history and maybe kind of, but my love letter today is going to take a few turns into time, into the Julian and Gregorian calendars. We're going to visit a little bit with the doctor. There are a lot of threads in this love letter today. And I do want to open with a really good quote from our good doctor, that being the doctor and Dr. Who. The universe is very big. It's vast and complicated and ridiculous. And sometimes, very rarely, impossible things just happen, and we call them miracles. Dear Ides of March, you come to us from the ancient Roman calendar. Not that every ancient culture doesn't have a calendar, they all do. The Babylonians, the Chinese, the Egyptians, the Greeks. But you, Romans, you're the calendar that stuck around. But honestly, does anyone really know what time it is? Especially not right now, after we just had to spring forward. You're not kidding. We got to thank the band Chicago for that lovely song released as a single in October of 1970. We always have seemed to be working out time. And the history of time and how it's recorded is really fascinating. We could devote a whole season to it. But today, we're going to talk about the Ides of March. March 15th known as a bad luck day, probably mostly from Shakespeare's play, Julius Caesar. Let's not kid ourselves. Julius Caesar was a dictator. One of my favorite quotes from good old Julius, if you must break the law, do it to seize power. In all other (laughs) cases, observe it. Well, that says a lot about him. Rules kind of negotiable. But Julius Caesar was warned previous to his death in 44 BC by a soothsayer to beware the Ides of March. And Julius Caesar kind of blows the soothsayer off. And he sees that same dude, that same predictor of fortunes on the way into the Senate on March 15th, 44. And Julius Caesar kind of teases the predictor of the future about it. Hey, the Ides have come. I'm still here. Ha ha ha. And the soothsayer says, yeah, the eyes have come, but they have not yet gone. It's not the end of the day, Julius. Well, Julius was stabbed on his way into the Senate with uh, assisted by 60 of his friends and colleagues participating in the deed. Since then, the Ides of March has become unlucky. But honestly, Melissa, the Ides is just a term. It's a simple little word that just means the middle. That's it. The Ides is just the middle of the month. There's an Ides in every month. Every month. month. Yeah, that's the thing. When you were saying that the other day, it's like every month has the Ides. Why don't we say it for anything else? Well, they typically happen not on the 15th. They happen on the 13th of each month, except for four particular months, March, May, July, October. So the Romans and the way they keep time essentially are based on three things. You have the Ides, which will land the middle of the month, either on the 13th or the 15th. Then you have the knowns. The knowns happen nine days 
before the Ides. So it could be the fifth or the seventh of each month. Mm -hmm. The other pivotal day within the Roman calendar is called Cal ends. It's the first of every month. It's the calendar end of the month. This is when your accounts come due, when you got to pay your bills. So in the Roman time recording of history, you've got the knowns, you have the Ides, you have Calends. Every month has one. Why are any of the Ides on the 13th since we don't have any 26-day months if it's the middle of the month? That's a great question. The months got added to because Julius Caesar decides in 45 that he wants to be dictator over the whole world and also time. Oh, he is going to adopt his Julian calendar. So previously, Romans counted time in a year long cycle that was controlled by the moon. It was a lunar cycle that went for 355 days. There was only a little bit of ego there involved in, I want to rule the world and time. I mean, you can break any rule you want if it's going to gain you power, but otherwise follow what I tell you to do. Right. So Caesar is going to change it from a 355 day a year calendar to a 365 day plus calendar, changing the focus of the calendar from the lunar cycles, from the moon cycles to the solar cycles. Caesar overestimates on days. In order to accommodate these extra days, additional days were added into some of the months across the year to answer your question. I understand. Okay. But Caesar overestimates and doesn't account, he adds in too many days, and it doesn't account for leap year, which the Council of Nicaea cleans up a little in 325 AD. But time, who the heck knows? Nobody knows what time it is. No one. As the doctor says, everything's got to end sometime. Otherwise, nothing would ever get started. So let's move to our hot calendar mess of time into the 16th century, where the current Pope gets out a little scratch pad and starts making a new way. Welcome to the Gregorian calendar. Mm. The Gregorian calendar is introduced in 1582 by Pope Gregory XIII in order to replace the Julian calendar. The Gregorian calendar is known as the Western calendar or the Christian calendar. Makes sense. Right. Mm -hmm. That Julian calendar had 365 plus days. And the Gregorian calendar, because of those extra days, There really is a problem. Nothing matches. Countries where schedules are set up for trade, for sailing, for commerce, for religious holidays, nothing lines up. There are 11 extra days that float throughout the centuries. That's not going to work. No, it causes confusion worldwide. Mm -hmm. The equinox, which is always in the spring equinox, doesn't land on the equinox in some places. It is all a hot mess. So Pope Gregory's like, hey, I got this fine idea, which is fantastic. He's going to implement his new calendar, 1582, but there's one small problem. It is only adopted by Catholic countries. Okay, well, so 
that's not going to fix the whole situation, then is it? It certainly doesn't because England is out in the dust with the Gregorian calendar until they adopt it in 1752, full on almost 200 years later. I wonder if the Pope thought, well, I guess everyone, you're going to have to become Catholic again. I, that's typically the Pope's job, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe that was the whole thing about the calendar. Okay, so now huzzah. 1752, England gets on board. Most of the world is now working on the Gregorian calendar. But let's talk about anybody who loves historical research. Because people writing in all of those centuries long ago and the countries they're in are using the dates of that day in the country and in the century that they're in, which might not actually translate to the date that something really happened. It just depends on where you were. And as a historical researcher, it's always good to check the source year of that text, the country of origin and place, and cross that against the calendars being used at the time to determine the actual real date. Everything's going to be an approximation at that point. Does anyone really know what time it is? So a few more recent Ides of March have come and gone with some noteworthy events that have not all brought bad luck. In 1895, the famous Italian tenor Enrico Caruso makes his stage debut, the most famous opera singer probably of all time. 1972 was a good year for the Ides of March. This is the day that Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather premiered. Although a lot of people did die in that movie. So maybe coincidence. I don't know. In 1985, the world's first internet domain name is registered. Mm, Okay. 1990, Mikhail Gorbachev on March 15th becomes president of the Soviet Union. I'm going to tag along here because there is a notable day that happens in Russian history on the Ides of March. It is the day that Nicholas II abdicates the throne in 1917. But March, honestly, typically not kind to Russian rulers. It's a rough month to be a ruler in Russia. Ivan the Terrible is murdered by his own son, March 28th in 1584. Okay, well, let's just take a moment and acknowledge that he had that coming. (laughs) He, He really did have it coming. Paul I, who is the son of Catherine the Great and her husband, perhaps Peter III, (laughs) maybe a child of an affair as well, was killed by his own officers, March 24th, 1801. Tsar Nicholas I, the emperor of Russia, who will bring Russia into the Crimean War, will die March 2nd, 1855. It's not to be outdone by Alexander II to be blown up by the People's Will Movement to March 13th, 1881. We can also not forget March 5th, 1953, the death day of Joseph Stalin. Kind of rough on Russian rulers, March. Well, I don't know that there's a good month to be a Russian ruler. (laughs) Historically, I think time would prove you correct on that one. I do want to make a mention here and not wanting to steal any of your thunder, Melissa, from your love letter today, but Julius Caesar, naturally, at least according to William Shakespeare, the bard, 
right? As some of the simplest and most pointed last words in history, a to brute. Which is awesome that like Willie Shakes does take a little bit of license with this historical story of Julius Caesar. But there is a case to be made that in fact, Julius Caesar might have had an alternate set of words. So the death of Julius Caesar will lead to a civil war with the power players that we do see in his play, Brutus and Mark Antony. And his murder is a terrible deed, but it is rumored that Julius says to his friend Brutus upon the stabbing, you too, my son, will have a taste of power. Brutus will get that taste of power. He'll be out by 42 BC of suicide. Mark Antony doesn't fare much better in the equation either, although he did get those years with Cleopatra, to be fair. Mark Antony is out by 30 BC with some murder, suicide, something, something, snakes were involved. Yeah. And then we get to Octavian, who history records with his emperor name, Augustus, who is the stepson of Julius Caesar, who becomes the first emperor of Rome. So the killing of Julius Caesar in William Shakespeare which is really a morality play. It's a history play. It's a cautionary play too, because the very thing that the Senate is trying to avoid by assassinating Julius Caesar is the very thing that happens in the fullness of time. So hello, unintended consequences. It's not the first time we've seen those. Not at all. There's this little saying about absolute power too. Have you ever heard it? (laughs) Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah, so that might be proving itself there in that little list of murdered or suicide victim emperors. Unintended consequences. They will get you in any time period, regardless of the time period. That's right. So here's to you, Ides of March, and time, and the Julian and Gregorian calendars, and the Doctor too. Does anyone really know what time it is? Does anyone really care? Time, after all, is what we make of it. It is fleeting and precious, and the one thing we're given to make miracles with in this world. I encourage you to do more miracle making with the time you've got, where no day is unlucky or cursed. The Ides is just the middle of the month, nothing more, nothing less. I'm going to close out here with a quote from the good doctor too. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. Melissa, it's all timey wimey stuff. And we're going to be back with more of that after we break for your love letter to famous last words, because they're not just from Julius Caesar. No, they are not. See you after the break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So time and love letters, Melissa, wait for no one. That is true. So when I think of the Ides of March, normally what comes to mind for me is the last words, supposed last words of Julius Caesar that you already told us, et tu, Brute. And so I decided that I was going to write a love letter to famous last words, because certainly Julius Caesar was not the only one to have his recorded. So we don't really know, again, as you said, what his final last words were, but they have sort of become the most famous last words in history. But we have some really interesting ones from other famous people. Ooh, goody, tell me. Dear famous last words, we will all speak you at some point. Sometimes people know they are speaking their last words and other times they have no idea. When it comes to famous people, sometimes you last words are entertaining, whether intentionally or unintentionally. But often you reveal that these famous people did not stray from their personalities, even in the moments right before their death. Sometimes you are touching and simple. Sometimes you are prophetic and profound. Here are a few. We're going to start with the ones that show that these people stayed true to their personality right up to the end. All right, Alicia, I think you're going to like this first one. This was from Jack Daniels. The famous whiskey distiller had contracted an infection that had turned into blood poisoning. Oh, no. It's a little unclear how he initially got the infection, but the rumor says that he was frustrated because he had forgotten the combination to his safe, and therefore he kicked it, and it broke his toe, and, well, that ended up killing him. He knew he was dying. And so his last words very fittingly were, one last drink, please. That makes a lot of sense for Jack Daniels. It really does. All right, we're going to move on to Humphrey Bogart. So this iconic American actor is most known for his film Casablanca and, of course, his marriage to Lauren Bacall. It's not really a secret that he was a heavy drinker and smoker throughout his life. In fact, that was part of his persona. There are two different reports of his final words. Both are actually very fitting for his personality and lifestyle. The first and most likely false account is, quote, I should have never switched from scotch to martinis. Unquote. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> I kind of like that one, quite honestly. But his wife, Lauren Bacall, has since said that his last words were actually spoken to her when she was leaving the hospital room for a brief time to pick up their kids. And as much as he should have just gone with the, here's looking at you, kid, he said, goodbye, kid, hurry back. So that still sounds very much like Humphrey Bogart. Okay, Joan Crawford. It's less sweet, less sweet. Okay. But Still very, very much like Joan Crawford. No, no, Joan Crawford isn't really known for her sweetness and kindness. Nope, that's why, yeah, this is uh, 
keeping with her personality. So we all know that she was difficult to say the least. And she had that ongoing feud with Bette Midler. Sorry. (laughs) 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 All timey wimey stuff. uh, Right, right. Try again. Doesn't matter. (laughs) And she had that ongoing feud with Betty Davis. And of course, we all know what her children have said about her. The infamous wire hanger scene in the film Mommy Dearest will never be erased from our memories. Apparently, age and illness did not mellow her either. As she lay dying, her housekeeper started to pray for her. And Crawford yelled, damn it, don't you dare ask God to help me. (laughs) Ah, That sounds a lot like Joni Crawford. (laughs) Right? Okay, this one I find particularly amusing. This is from 17th century French essayist and grammarian, Dominique Bouars, staying very true to himself, being a grammarian. His last words were, quote, I am about to, or I am going to die. Either expression is correct, unquote. (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) Loved it. Okay, so let's hear from some people who kept their sense of humor right up to the very end. Chico Marx. This famous funny man made sure to give his wife some instructions about what he wanted her to do when he died. He didn't want to take any chances. And of course, and he wanted to make her laugh as well. He said, remember, honey, don't forget what I told you. Put in my coffin, a deck of cards, a mashy niblick, which was his favorite golf club, and a pretty blonde. <laughs> Perfect. Mm-hmm. Ian Fleming. I don't know if he meant this to be funny or not, but I find it funny. So the James Bond author may not have intended to be humorous with his last words, but under the circumstances, they are very amusing. As a true Englishman, he maintained his immaculate manners right up to the end when he apologized to the ambulance drivers for inconveniencing them after having a heart attack that would end up being fatal while he was golfing. His last words to them were, quote, I am sorry to trouble you chaps. I don't know how you get along so fast with the traffic on the roads these days. Hmm. He wouldn't have to worry about that anymore because he died very shortly afterward. Okay, Alicia, I know you like this next person and I think you're going to like his final last words too. So we're going to talk about Oscar Wilde. Oh, goody. Yes. So the Irish poet and playwright lay dying in a Paris hotel room when he announced this wallpaper and I are fighting a duel to the death. Either it goes or I do. Well, I think the wallpaper is still there. (laughs) Lovingly restored in that French hotel, actually, where he lived the remainder of his life. (laughs) There is an Oscar Wilde suite in that hotel. Love it. All right. So Benjamin Disraeli, anyone who is a fan of English history, especially the Victorian period, will appreciate this. He was prime minister twice during Queen Victoria's reign, and he was her prime minister for several of the years after her beloved husband, Prince Albert, died. So as we know, Queen Victoria mourned Albert deeply for the rest of her life. She never stopped wearing black and would, some would say, morbidly pose a bust of the late prince in her children's wedding photos with her looking lovingly at him as if he were still alive. 
Her family and the entire country eventually grew pretty tired of her excessive mourning. Apparently, Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli did as well. When he lay dying in 1881, after the doctors had confirmed that this was in fact the end, he was told that Queen Victoria would like to pay him a visit, if that was all right with him. He replied, no, it is better not. She would only ask me to take a message to Albert. (laughs) That's wonderful. (laughs) He probably wasn't wrong. Okay, so let's just get to a few short, prophetic, and profound last words. Voltaire. The philosopher was famous for his wit and his beliefs on the freedom of religion and expression. He was very much ahead of his time in many ways. Because of his progressive and reformist thoughts, the church considered him to be blasphemous. On his deathbed, a priest wanted to give him the last rites and asked him to renounce Satan. Voltaire (laughs) responded by saying, now, now, my good man, this is not the time for making new enemies. (laughs) Sounds a lot like Voltaire. Yeah. A lovely one was from composer Johann Sebastian Bach, when he said to the people around him, don't cry for me, for I go where music is born. Oh, I know. Nostradamus, we all know what he's famous for. And he said, tomorrow at sunrise, I shall no longer be here. And he was not. He got that prediction, right? (laughs) He predicted that. Thomas Edison said, it's very beautiful over there. Who knows what he was seeing, but he liked it. Okay, and the final ones that I'm going to say, both of the men that I'm going to talk about died on the same day in 1826. Since they were both significant founding fathers and former presidents, it was poetically on the 4th of July that they died. And it was only within five hours of each other. Although they had had issues throughout much of their life, in their later years, they had actually grown very close. And they had a very strong friendship and correspondence, writing faithfully to each other over the last 14 years of their life. As they both lay dying on July 4th, 1826, in their respective homes, Thomas Jefferson was 83. And just before his death, coming in and out of consciousness, he asked, is it the fourth? John Adams, age 90, laying on his own deathbed whispered his final words, Thomas Jefferson still survives. He didn't know he was wrong, though, because Jefferson had actually died five hours earlier. So here's to you, famous last words. You reveal a lot about those who speak you. Sometimes you're so memorable that you go down in history, just like those famous last words spoken on the Ides of March so many years ago. A tu, Brute? Well done. Thank Those you. are some fun last words. Fun, yes. I There's a couple of them that I particularly enjoy, and I love thinking that those are the real ones. Who knows? It's nice to think that people had their wits about them still right up to the very end. Last words in time, I think we've discovered today, are all rather subjective. Yes. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today to our love letters. We're going to be back with you again on Thursday with two brand new love letters And Melissa, it's like Providence has blessed us this week. I know. Today is a day known for bad luck. And Thursday is a day synonymous with good luck. 
St. Patrick's Day. We're going to see you back then. And until we meet again, darlings, stay in love and a little luck too. Thanks for listening to Love Letters 2, a Hemlock Creatives production. Feel like showing some love to Love Letters 2? We'd love it if you tell a friend or leave us a kind review or even come and visit us on social media. You can find us at Instagram or Facebook at Love Letters 2 Podcast. You can also reach out and email us at loveletters2podcast at gmail.com or visit our website at loveletters2podcast.com. Until we meet again in the next episode, darlings, stay in love.